In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine... Well, very little, actually. Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with, and the other has never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes, where you should leave us a review, please. And subscribe. That too. Today, today we're talking about The Disaster Artist, a 2013 book written by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell about The Room. For those of you who have never seen The Room, and this is The Room, not Room, the current Oscar-nominated film, you have an extra thing to do this week. Go watch The Room. You really, really should. Yes. That Mandatory. I, Yes, it is absolutely mandatory for this. Despite not having read this book, I have seen that movie many, many, many times, and it's key for this. Anyway, once you've watched it, you can then learn about how it was made, which you'll understand why that's ridiculous and engrossing once you see it. Uh, But anyway, you can find that out by reading The Disaster Artist, which I, of course, have never actually read. But I have read it, and I am so, so excited to read this again. And uh, it's not a very long book, so uh, yeah, it should be a pretty uh, pretty fun, uh, fun, easy read, I think, for both of us. Yeah, we're doing it all in one episode, which is, like, crazy for us with books. Yeah, in the Reading past, whenever fast, we've done books, <laughs> we, we've done, like, Tale of Two Cities, which understandably was broken up. I think even two episodes was even borderline, maybe two I know, two we really should have divided that in three, probably. Also, you realize, so we, it's no secret, we tape these episodes way in advance. By the time this comes out, like, Room will have either won Oscars or lost Oscars. I, th- I, th- I think it's definitely okay, will no longer be... Okay, <laughs> critically acclaimed film also it doesn't change the fact that it was nominated for oscars that's true i mean what if it wins what if it wins best picture by the time this comes out you know then we'll look still will have been nominated fair go (laughs) go read the disaster artist hey guys emily and i are off reading the disaster artist by greg sestero and tom bissell and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're off uh, reading that. Uh, in the time since we recorded that intro, sure enough, Room did win uh, an Oscar. Brie Larson won for Best Actress. Uh, but uh, The Room continues to remain unacknowledged by the Academy, which is very sad. Uh, but there's a great book about it, so it's okay. Yes, you should definitely see The Room. I mean, I guess you could see Room, too. But anyway, you should see The Room in order to understand this this uh, book and also get the book. Yes, then go read the book. Because we're going to spoil everything that happens. Yes, we're going to spoil both the content of the movie and the content of the book. So go do those things, I assure you. At least in my opinion, it is definitely worth your time. We're going to find out soon what, what Emily thinks. So go do those things, and then we'll see you uh, in a little bit. Happy reading. We just read The Disaster Artist. Yay! <laughs> um, I obviously have thoughts, uh, but before we get to those, Eric, 
Why don't you tell us what you like about this book? Oh my god, I love this book so much. Um, so as we've established, we're both big fans of the movie The Room, which you know is an important prerequisite for this book. I'd say. Um, I mean, I guess yeah, you could... the book uh, probably doesn't make much sense if you haven't seen the movie. Well, I actually would be curious if someone, you know, if someone were were to read the book without having seen the movie. Like, I wonder what they would think of this ridiculous story. Um, but. The thing that I love the most about The Disaster Artist is, like, you watch the movie The Room, you talk about that movie with your friends. I mean, there's been this huge, over the past, like, 10, 15 years, this huge online, you know, cult following built up around this movie and around Tommy Wiseau, around the the, the, the writer, star, director, producer, executive producer, etc. Uh, and, you know, everyone likes to talk about all how... All on separate title screens. Of course, all on separate title screens. And everyone likes to talk about how crazy this guy is. And... I adore the fact that the book goes so much further than you could possibly imagine. Like, you have no idea how crazy this guy is. And yet, at the same time, he's also, like, an actually interesting human character who's kind of tragic in a lot of ways. So, like, when I when I pre-ordered this book, and I pre-ordered it, like, the second I became made of its, <laughs> aware of its existence, like, I was expecting, you know, crazy stories from the set, which is what you get. But you also get this, like, really interesting and well-done character study of this of this real person uh tommy Wiseau. so i just totally adore this book uh emily what did you think well i liked it spoiler alert um so i have to say and i'm not sure if i've told you this before um although i might have mentioned it a couple months ago when i watched the room for the most recent time um i kind of burn out on the room actually yeah in college, we used to watch it a lot, uh, my friends and I, and I don't know, at some point I kind of like had watched it too many times. I sort of got over it. Yeah. And so I, I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I wasn't like 100% looking forward to this episode because I was kind of like, oh, God, the room, like I'm like, well, Just when it. you thought you were out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I'm like, I'm sort of over it. Like, I don't know how interesting I'm actually going to find this book, like whatever. Uh, oh, my God, this it's just, it's so good <laughs> and I'm like I need to go back and watch the movie again to like right. fully appreciate all this stuff and it's like obviously I know the scenes he's talking about when he talks about various scenes that were difficult to film or the weird ways that the dialogue worked and uh, well, like, like the best example my favorite example is early on in the book where it's the uh, the oh hi mark scene where, where oh he's God. like you know I did not hit her I did not hit oh her it's not God. true and, the, and the it fact- took him so long to film it like what and the fact that throwing the water bottle was the key to success there, like, that that's the thing about this, is, like, the room, the movie, is just full of these, like, unexplainedly, uh, inexplicably weird, you know, like, occurrences. And the fact that the water bottle, of all things, is one of those, like, I never would have thought that that was something that was, like, the necessary ingredient <laughs> to getting one decent take, <laughs> well, you know? Well, yeah, it's, and it's amazing, I mean... So logic isn't probably is probably not the right word, but it is. It's kind of fascinating to to learn that there is some semblance of of like logic or rhyme or reason to why various ridiculous things in the movie happen the way that they do. I mean, obviously, there's very little internal logic to the movie itself. Right. But the fact, for instance, because the water bottle is one of the like weird, hilarious things that makes that scene and that entrance like so funny. Right. And to learn that there's, it's always just been like, this is so random. He has a water bottle. What is this? And then to learn that there is some sort of like, again, 
logic is maybe not the right word, but there's some reason that there is a water bottle that it just it makes it so much funnier. I know. <laughs> like, and, and that's like, not not even to say anything about like all the stuff that happens that we don't see on camera. The stuff that like happens, you know, like the late night auditions where people had to oh kiss, and the and the fact that he bought all this equipment instead of <laughs> renting it, and just well, there, so much stuff. And yeah, and some of it also was stuff that I know from like the DVD commentary and that kind of thing. But like, okay. I actually um, haven't listened to the DVD commentary. I'm I'm a uh, a poor fan in that regard. <laughs> wait. Wait, 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 wait. You've never watched the interviews in the special features on the DVD? No, no, I haven't. Holy God. They're, like, <laughs> almost as good as the movie itself. I, I think you've, I've had them recounted to me by you uh, when, when, I, when I first got into the room in college, and then I found out that you were also a fan. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. The DVD, the DVD extras are, like are like better than the movie they're so <laughs> he explains well and it's actually it's kind of funny um to see the cra- his crazy ramblings um from the interview and the dvd extra sort of borne out it's like in full in like greg sestero's explanation of of tommy was as a person like all this stuff about um the uh, the patriotism for instance there's like a whole little thing about yeah. his like this is america like you know you can do whatever you want like he says that so many times in yeah. the DVD inter- in the interview afterward. Yeah, he goes on and on because like they ask him things like really basic, like why is it the room? Why do you play football in tuxedos? And he's <laughs> like, he says things like his answer to these questions is like, this is um, this is America, you know. You can you can play football in tuxedos. You can play football on a roof. You can play football wherever you want. Like it's <laughs> that that's what America means and, to him. Is, yeah, is and that, apparently yeah. that's like his whole life like philosophy. It's amazing. It, it, um, it's it's hard to pick a favorite part of this book because, like I said, it is so jam packed. But I was thinking this might be my favorite paragraph in the entire thing. Tommy typically kept his Christmas tree up all year long. Sometimes he didn't remove the menagerie of Halloween pumpkins from his doorstep until the following Halloween when he replaced all the old black rotten pumpkins (laughs) with fresh new orange ones. Tommy's favorite American holiday was Thanksgiving, but he didn't just celebrate Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) He celebrated Thanksgiving month, eating a full turkey dinner every day for the next 30 days. I once asked him about this. His explanation, we live in America. Anything is possible. I love living American life. (laughs) It's, it's so good. Just wow. Yeah, and I have to say I was um I was also pleasantly surprised by uh the the really compelling construction of the book. Yeah. Um because uh you know, I think it would have been really it would have been really good and uh, amazing just what I was expecting, which was just like a linear Right. telling of how the, the hell they made this ridiculous made. yeah exactly yeah. but the way that it was you know and it's like it's a really common narrative construction but it's common because it works right like the the way it like opens in the present and then not in the present but you know what i mean um in, in opens the, the later forward, the and then it yeah. alternates between like background and the telling it just it works really really well um and i also uh i i, I feel like it answered not I'm not going to say, like, questions that I had. It's not like I've been, like, w- walking through my life, like, wondering <laughs> these things. But but there, I, I do know, a, like, I went into it knowing a fair amount of background, um, like, about the movie and, and all of this kind of thing. And so, like, 
it did answer questions that like don't 100% make sense to, to the background. For instance, I was aware that Tommy Wiseau and uh, and Greg Sestero were friends. Like right. I had heard that somewhere that like. It, Unlike everyone else in the movie, he wasn't just some rando that was cast. And, like, that was a pretty, pretty big, like, un- outstanding unanswered question of, like, how the hell are these two people friends? <laughs> like, how does Tommy Wiseau have friends? Not right. to mention, like, how does he get to be friends with, like, a relatively normal-seeming person? Mm-hmm. Like, what? And the thing, yeah, I mean, throughout the book, you kind of, uh, the fact that it's told from Greg's point of view, it really helps you understand sort of what he sees in Tommy and sort of the the, the pieces of Tommy that are weirdly admirable or, or charming in, in a very, very weird way. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it's like, it's still crazy. Like, I don't think most of us would have would have persisted in friendship with this guy. Nope. Um, but you can see how, how it happened and like... Right. It makes it does it actually does make sense surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, things about the whole thing that made sense. It w- w- was there? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that you liked sort of the way the book is structured, kind of the flashing forward and backward in time uh, sort of approach. I mean, what did you think just generally of like, I guess, like the the writing style or, or of anything like that? Like, did anything jump out at you there? Um. Well, I, I'll start by saying one one thing I didn't like, and this doesn't a hundred percent. I mean, it, it happened a little bit in the writing style too, but I, um, the quotes at the beginning of the chapters to me was kind of like one step too far. You mean it, the quotes from the talented Mr. Ripley in Sunset Boulevard? Right. Yeah. Um, it was like it was like all right, book. Like <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not that fancy. Like yeah. come on, calm down. <laughs> um, they were they were sort of you know like when, I, I when books do that, um, you know, quote from something like. I feel like it's usually done in a way that like like you really get like it really like resonates it's like an almost a thesis statement for a chapter which I guess is what they were trying to do but it was kind of like all right this is like a little bit grandiose like you can calm down well it's also <laughs> a bit overkill because the titles of the actual chapters are thesis statements for those chapters and they're right. alternating between quotes from real life and quotes from the movie and I felt like that did a perfectly fine job of setting up you know Exactly. Yeah, that was like the one one extra thing that I that I didn't really need. And it's like it also kind of um I feel like it kind of ruined for me, not ruined, but it took away for me from the um the chapter where he actually goes and sees the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. Agreed. And like realizes like how much Tom Ripley is kind of like Tommy Wiseau. It's like a movie, by the way, that I've not seen, so I guess oh, it's yeah, spoiled well, for... Oh, yeah, well, this spoils the whole thing. Oh, I was, yeah. When I was reading that chapter, I was like, God, I'm really glad that I've seen that movie, because, yeah. like, oh, well. it spoils a lot of what happens in it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm happier to have read this entire book than, than to yeah. have... Uh, well, yeah. I want to go... It's a pretty good movie. I want to go back and rewatch it, actually, because I don't remember really? a lot of details. But, um, but, no, it kind of, like, as soon as it got mentioned in that chapter, like, uh, his friend asked him to go see it or whatever. Uh, it was like, oh, he's about to see, like, you know, it's like I, I got there before the book before the book wanted me to, kind of, and I was like, ah. Yeah. If the quotes hadn't been there, that would have been, like, a good, like, little reveal. I don't know. Um, but other but other than those, that, and a couple and a couple moments in the writing also that, that were, like, a little too grandiose for yeah. uh, for what it was. This um, is some very purple writing here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I mean, again, overall, like I thought it was, uh, I thought it was effective and, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward and well done. I, I think the, uh, one of the things that I, I like the most about, um, the, the, one of the things I think they did the best is really, uh, ending, having each chapter be this really self-contained sort of like, uh, moment. Uh, and I felt like each one ended in a very satisfying way and provided like sort of a little, little hits of closure at the end of each chapter in a way that not every uh, nonfiction book can do. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of t- the talented Mr. Ripley, the first time I read this book and I got to the end of that chapter and uh, Tommy says, like, oh, I'm going to name the character after for, uh, in oh the room God. after Mark Damon, <laughs> that actor Mark Damon. <laughs> the first time I read this book, I had to put the book down and just walk away because I was just like... <laughs> That I'm done for the night. There's, there's no, no way anything's going to top that. Like, <laughs> just wow, just oh my god. The fact that that's that's where the character of Mark comes from. Like, <laughs> just, just I don't know. Uh God, there's, there's so much. There um, really, really, really is. Um, oh my god, and like, it's also really. I, I talked about um the the unanswered questions that it kind of that it illuminated, but it also like. I don't know. I feel like it. It even. It also left me with more <laughs> unanswered <laughs> questions. Like, again, I. I always knew that that the film was self-financed and that no, it was like a grand mystery that like no one knows where he gets his wealth or whatever. Right. But the little little tiny snippets that the book does give us about like possibly where he gets his wealth or like more evidence of this like mysterious money and like more evidence of his weird mystery. It's like, ah, now I want to know, like, I even more want to know, like, what the deal is. Like, where did he get all of this money? I mean, obviously just from selling little toy birds on Clearly. the, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I think the whole point there is just like that, I mean, it says, like, here's all of these contradictory stories that he's told over time. So it's just kind of trying to cobble this together into yeah. what what I think the authors are assuming is a semi-fictionalized or maybe entirely fictionalized narrative. <laughs> And yet it's really still engrossing because this, you know, in some form came out of the mind of Tommy all the same. So I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, you you have to assume that there's, like, probably some truth to some of it. I mean, right. if, if, if none of the means, at the very least, like, I'm willing to buy that his weird accent is that he was born in Eastern Europe and spent a lot of time in France. Yeah. Regardless sure. of whether the circumstances were what they are. I mean, that... That tracks with his bizarre, bizarre way of talking. Um, oh, also, though, uh, again, in the unanswered questions vein, um, another d- minor quibble. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not that disappointed in it, but, like, I would have liked there to be some sort of, like, epilogue or something um, about, like, now. Yeah. I mean, and, and About, and like, the opened, fandom. Yeah, I mean, it opened with that. You know, it opened explaining, like, what the room is now and and you know the screenings and all of this kind of stuff which um, now, and you've never been to a live no screening, i've never right? been to a live screening see i may not have seen the dvd stuff but i feel like the live screenings for me are an incredibly important part of the of the fandom here so our powers combined we, we make one complete fan of the room <laughs> right um but no i uh i've never been to a live screening although we did have lots and lots and lots of screenings in our in our dorms we would bring new people in and yeah. So yes, I mean about the screenings, the, the the intro to the book touched on the screenings, but um, no, more like like where things. I, I was interested about in where things stand with Greg and Tommy now. Yeah. I mean, I know that I know that like Greg is often at screenings, or at least used to be. Um, you know, in those like tours where like Tommy will appear at a screening and that kind of thing. 
Um, but like, has this book damaged their relationship? Like... So actually, funny, funny you should mention. So <laughs> after the book came out, there was a screening near me and in, in, uh, down in San Jose where Greg was there, he's promoting the book, and he was there alone without Tommy, and someone asked him, like, okay, so what does Tommy think? And Greg was kind of dodging the question. It seems like there was definitely some uh, impact of the book on their uh, friendship. I don't know. This was back in 2013. Three years later, it could be totally different, but still. Uh, he I definitely, can't imagine he was... a friendship surviving this yeah. book. But you also can't imagine a real person who happens to be Tommy Wiseau, and yet he's a real person. So that's very true. Maybe conventional rules of friendship don't apply either. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, and it seems also, and it's very sad, but, you know, it seems like he's, like, his only friend, so I guess maybe he wouldn't. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, know. there's definitely rocky patches in the book of, their, oh, of yeah. their relationship where, you know, over time they patch things up because they are they are drawn to one another, like, like you know, some, yeah. some mysterious natural forces, yeah. Yeah, although, I don't know that, but also Greg seems a little bit, and of course this is partially because it's written from his perspective, but, like, right. Greg does seem like a little bit of a hostage, like, <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and especially when he was living in his apartment, like exactly, he was kind of just Tommy's hostage. Like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, the other thing from from the the Greg Sestero uh, meetup slash like book signing slash screening that I went to, he actually screened the real uh, Tommy was a street fashions ad, like the TV ad that he made in order to get into the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, I would love to see that promote the book they like put out videos online that had a little clip of the street fashions ad but i just looked and so it's not actually the whole thing is not available on youtube at least um but it's just as crazy as you might imagine with tommy in full shakespearean garb doing the to be or not to be oh my god <laughs> the insta profundity of, of, of <laughs> contemplated suicide just um and then selling jeans uh just what even the walls are lined with jean jackets and there's all this is just jeans everywhere it's it's so weird <laughs> um wow. but but yeah i i one of the things that um so i've seen the room movie god knows how many times and now i've read this book twice and um I find that it's actually kind of interesting how the two... Like, I feel like this, for anyone who gets into who really likes the movie, I feel like this book should be, like, a mandatory, like, companion to, oh, to, to I the agree. movie. It's... Because, like, there's so many, like, little things that they very deftly, like, weave into the writing where, like, for instance, the whole thing with um, when they're in San Francisco and they run Beta Breakers, and Greg is talking about how there's a woman there in a wedding dress with a, you know, will you marry me sign. That gets referenced in the room. They, they talk about that, about running Beta Breakers and how there's a woman with, with a sign that says, will you marry me? That's, like, one of, the, one of the scenes between Greg, or between Mark and Johnny and Peter, is them talking about Beta Breakers and that woman. And there's... All these like little things, like yeah. Well, you know. and, like the, the the first time they met, as soon as he said he, uh, the first time he met up with Tommy, that he brought a soccer ball with him, 
So in case he ended up playing soccer in Golden Gate Park, as soon as that happened in the book, I was like, oh, my God, that's where that comes from. <laughs> clearly, they've gone and played in football, ultimately. But, like, yeah. clearly they've gone and, like, hung out, passed a ball around in Golden Gate Park. And, like, that's what that scene is. Like, exactly, yeah. And, um, and, like, the and also just, like, the uh, there's, oh like, a... Oh, my God, the thing about the oh, hi, doggy. Yes, oh, my God, that, that was so amazing, <laughs> the fact, right? The fact that that's spontaneous. And... I, and that the people there were just like they're this like chill, you know, flower shop owners, like who just happened to have a very still dog, <laughs> a very old still dog. Is this real? Like what? Yeah. Um, no, at some point I, I keep on meaning to do this because you know I, I live near San Francisco, so I keep on meaning to at some point do like an actual tour of the city to like locations like from the movie or things like that to actually see some of the stuff. You could like market that. Well, I mean, other people have done it before. It's been, it's been people have done it oh. online before. I think the AV Club did it once. No, I just um, mean like in the way that there's like you can take like a Sex in the City tour of New York. Like, oh yeah, a bu- yeah. There's a bus tour that you pay and take take the Sex in the City tour. Well, unfortunately, the flower shop uh, went out of business several years oh, ago. No. So yeah, the flower That's shop, the, the Ohio Doggy shop, is not there anymore. But yeah, I mean, this is like all all this stuff that, uh, um, and and now with the book, like that adds on to you know important locations from uh. You know, oh my god. Um, but no, I um, what you said about about this being like a mandatory companion to the movie, kind of, I I agree with that because I have always found, and part of this is just because I've never experienced any other way. Like, um, the first time that I watched it, my friend had already seen it and was already familiar with all of the things, um, and so it was like, you know, I watched it with with sort of a guide who was able to say, like, you know, watch for that, like, seriously, listen to how many times they say this. Or after the mom said, to, after the breast cancer scene, say, so you know, as soon as that scene over, scene's over, he's just like, no, you have to keep in mind this never comes up again. Like, watch for it. <laughs> this never comes up again. However, in the play version of The Room, which I saw the debut of in the play Dear version, <laughs> with, with, with Tommy and Greg reprising their roles and the rest of the cast cold from Craigslist the day before. <laughs> that is not a joke. Um, in the play version, uh, they expand on it. They give Claudette a boyfriend, and then in a later scene, she says it's terminal. And then it's never referenced again. <laughs> what even? I, I don't know. <laughs> and the same with Denny's drug thing. Oh, what, what kind of drugs did you take? Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I did, I did like the... Coming up again. But yeah, no, it's... So I just... I do feel like, like this book could serve that same role of like of like being the guide you kind of need to fully appreciate like just what is even happening with this movie well and the thing is too like um and the it also is kind of helpful to have a guide even if you've already seen the movie even if you've already read the book um at some point if we are ever in the same city i do want to do an episode about live screens of the room i want to do a separate episode about that because like i've been to several of them and it is a whole nother experience all into itself with all these like conventions and all these like bizarre things that happen they, they mentioned i think one of them which is really funny which is oh, at they one mentioned, point they mentioned several of them like um the thro- throwing the spoons and uh people going down in the corner and waving the and corner thing is so funny when you actually see it in person because sometimes it'll be like a couple people who know, know what's up and other one time i went to a screening and there were full 30 people crammed into that little corner all all staying there just so just like going tommy tommy over here um, but the thing that's that's funny there too that if we ever do an episode about that, which which is great, is that you never quite know what's going to happen because there are different 
conventions in different places. So, like, I've gone to some oh, that wow. are in San Jose and some in San Francisco where I heard completely different things. And it's just a matter of, like, the really super hardcore people, the people who are way more hardcore than I am, who go all the time. Some of them have built up, have, have, have written their own memes, their own jokes, their own scripts around the movie. And they stick to those, you know. Uh, but then, of course, there's cross-pollination. There's people who go from one to the other. So without without giving, like, you know, giving away all of it, like, there's one point, a famous point in the movie, um, the uh, the alley scene, where, um, is it Mike? Is that the name of the guy? Who, who even gets... knows? The guy who makes the ridiculous blowjob faces early on? That guy, yeah. <laughs> where he's explaining how he got caught in Tommy and Lisa's condo by Claudette. <laughs> And he's saying like how she is retrieving his underwear from the aforementioned <laughs> random blowjob in their apartment. Yes, and and he, the way he describes <laughs> it though is, is that this movie? At, at one point he says like, and all of a sudden she had <clears throat> me underwears or something like that, and something that I picked up from the San Jose crowd that they didn't do in San Francisco uh, was after he says me underwears, you they all go ah. <laughs> And I went up to San Francisco screening. I did that, and no one else was doing it. But the guy behind me was like, "Oh, that's funny." <laughs> so, like, sometime in the future, that might become like a San Francisco thing. That's maybe, maybe I started it. Yeah. So, uh, in any case, it was just all sorts of little shit like that. Um. So, okay, but but enough about the live screens. We'll save that for for another thing. Back to the book. Um. Another thing that I uh, was really uh, really into with, with the book is just like the I god I I'm always falling into this stupid trap. I always wind up saying the phrase like little details cuz that's the stuff when I rewatch stuff that always jumps out at me. But fuck it, the little details in this book <laughs> such as Tommy's uh obsessions with certain holidays or the fact that he has uh, these weights by the toilet and a poster of, of Aladdin <laughs> in his oh bathroom. Oh my god, the poster of Aladdin, what like, is what? that? Um, so that's something where it's, you know, obviously this is Greg recalling stuff that happened years ago, like, who knows for sure like exactly how accurate it is, but I'd be willing to, I'm, I'm grateful for whoever decided to put in little, like, you know, scene setting details like that, you know. The Aladdin poster, just, yeah. No, I will say, you... You mentioned him recalling it, like, from long ago. It is kind of like, okay, do you really remember this much dialogue from your own life? No, like, of course not, yeah. Although apparently there are cassette tapes of all of their phone conversations, so I guess he could have listened to Oh, that's this. true, yeah, yeah, how, how Tommy records everything, yeah. That is so <laughs> creepy. Yep. <laughs> and also, well, you're the one who's a journalist in California. I don't know what, is California a one or two party consent state because it also uh, is potentially illegal. Yeah, oh yeah, that's illegal. No, California is an all party consent state. <laughs> and things that journalists talk about. Moving yeah. on. Um, uh, we might as well explain. It's it's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, the, yeah. There, it's the law determining whether or not it's legal to record a phone conversation without everyone on the call knowing, which is why if you call like a uh, tech support uh, line, you might hear a computer voice say like, this call is being recorded for quality monitoring purposes. Right. Maybe that's some... true. Maybe someone's reviewing the tapes. The real reason is they're they're not getting they don't want to get sued. So there's right. And, it, and it varies. And the reason they have to do that is because they don't know what state you're calling from. And it varies by state whether everyone has to know or just like one person has to know or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, 
Good job breaking the law, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Although I guess they also did that with filming their exterior shots. So right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, the thing where he um is like he drives his car into the driveway and gets narrowly, almost gets hit by a bus. <laughs> Like, I noticed that one of the times I saw the movie, but I didn't really, until I read the book, I didn't realize, like, oh, yeah, like, that was, like, a super dangerous move. Um, well, and it gets and caught also, in the film. again, you're not supposed to film without a permit, and they yes, do. Yes, that too. <laughs> and they're just, like, standing there, like, I love the way you describe, like, they were standing on either side of the camera to try to, like, block it. So like, what? <laughs> yep. Wow. Um... So I mean, other other any other random thoughts you had about the uh, about the book or? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. I didn't really keep it. Sometimes when we're when we're watching something, I'll keep like a list while while I'm watching. Like I'll yeah, that's harder notes. to do with a book, especially I yeah. um I actually took it out of the library, so like I couldn't oh, take yeah. notes in it or dog the pages or anything because it's not my book. Right. Oh my god, the uh, description of um the day when they filmed all the sex scenes. Yeah. So creepy. Yep. Not that it isn't creepy just just watching it. Watching <laughs> it and knowing that that happened, but wow. I mean, ah. Well, and yeah. especially like you think about um actors often get interviewed or or asked in interviews about filming sex scenes and they always talk about uh how unsexy it is. Yeah, but but and but when they say that, they are specifically talking about how choreographed it is, how like professional it is. They talk about their their scene partners and explain like you know they were they were so professional and they you know made me feel really safe on set and like all of this kind of stuff and it's just like so aggressively the opposite of all of that. I mean like how creepy and predatory. Yeah. Ugh, just awful and it's like kind of it's like kind of upsetting that like no one intervenes any sooner than they do because it's like they're all sitting there watching it like he he there's a line in there about like i like i think most of us on set had to like fight our chivalrous impulses to like not jump in and pull him off of her it's like uh you probably shouldn't have fought those impulses like (laughs) you should have done you should have done one take and then stopped fighting those impulses like come on yeah no i mean I, I feel bad for uh, for pretty much everyone involved in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think, I mean, definitely, especially Juliet is her name, right? Yeah, Juliet like, Danielle. I, yeah. I feel like I feel like she just wow. And she she was like twenty two or something when she had to film this, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, that was one of the other things that Sestero uh, screened at, at his uh, the, the the book meetup thing was um like some some sit down interviews with like the cast like where are they now type thing because I, I think there uh-huh. was maybe someone making a documentary about the room I'm not sure um but but yeah so like uh I think there is I feel like I saw a trailer or a uh, maybe it was just like a joke video or something recently with with all of those people with the guy who plays Denny and Juliet and all yeah. those people and so Juliet still still like you know, looks good, and Denny, who was like the same age or maybe a little bit older, he looks really old now. He's he's eh. like completely bald, and yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I guess the, the only other thing that that uh, comes to mind is 
oh my god, there's going to be a movie of this with James Franco oh, as Tommy and Dave I Franco know, as Greg. I know. I like as soon as I was as soon as I was done reading this, I like went to IMDb and was like looking at like reminding myself like who's playing all of these people. The cast of that movie is amazing. It's really amazing because everyone <laughs> in Hollywood has seen this movie. It's like a huge thing that everyone basically every funny person there, like Yeah. It's like the entire cast of Freaks and Geeks is gonna be in this movie for one, and then just a bunch more people on top of that yeah but also i mean james and dave franco are just so perfectly cast right <laughs> like i mean dave franco looks so much like greg sestero it's like a real thing and and james franco is like a, a weirdo who can definitely pull off tommy was like have you seen the picture of him in his tommy makeup yes oh my god just wow <laughs> i like the thing is like it's entirely possible this might just be a complete lark for them and the movie won't be good. I don't care. I'm seeing it opening weekend. Oh, like, obviously. I, yeah. I just, I, I cannot overstate how excited I am for, for the movie <laughs> adaptation of this book. Um, just as, as an expression of, of fandom for this bizarre, fucked up piece of art. <laughs> so weird. Um, I guess that about does it for our discussion of the disaster artist. So, Emily, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are going to embark on uh, an, an interesting new, well, I go so far as to say experimental episode of Ooh. Giant Geek versus Mega Noob. Uh, we're actually both going to play Geek next time uh, and bring in some guest noobs so that we can talk about... Drum roll, please. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the book. Yay! <laughs> you, you've you've heard us. We managed to make it through an entire episode up to this point without talking about Harry Potter, <laughs> and yeah, now we're and now think, next episode. I think Harry Potter is just of a quality that uh, is so far removed from this that <laughs> there's just absolutely no Harry Potter reference to make here. Well, so so uh, what 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 house would, would Tommy and Greg be in? What, what house would they get sorted into? Um. Okay, well, Tommy would be sorted into Hufflepuff, not, and I'm not saying that as a knock on Hufflepuffs. I'm saying it because Hufflepuffs are the most, like, open and accepting, and, like, that, like, that's sort of their thing. Yeah. Um, is that, yeah, they're, like, Hufflepuff was the one who wanted, who was, like, most into, like, opening Hogwarts up, and, like, they're, they're the most about being, like, warm and accepting of people, so... <laughs> I'm saying Hufflepuff. I am. I'm. I guess I'm. What I'm going for more with that is that Hufflepuffs would be most open to putting up this, with Tommy, having this weirdo in their midst. I think. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well. Uh, and so yeah, we're gonna be reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for next week with our two guest noobs. Uh, so that'll be a very fun episode. And uh, until then, Emily, where else can we find you online? I am on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. This is Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, signing off. Bye. I can't explain why I feel this way about you. It'd be a shame. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. You are my fantasy dream. When I see your face